Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good. So welcome back to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. I'm so excited to be joined by my good friends, Sarah and Laura from Dynamic Doulas. You guys, the three of us are such a trio. And every time we get together, I just feel like we are such a powerhouse of like humor and realness. And we're going to shoot you straight. And today, that's really exactly what we're going to do. So Sarah, Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks We're for having super us. Super excited to be here. It's going to be fun. Yeah. I'm so excited to dive in. So I guess let's just kind of cut to the chase. What I want to talk about today is much more casual than what we typically talk about on the show, but I would love for us to just have a very raw, honest, transparent, candid conversation about the things that we have learned being doulas. What are the things, the nitty gritty, the bad, the good, the ugly, all of it that clients, patients, pregnant people, birthing people are really not going to hear anywhere else. I have a list as long as Santa's, you know, naughty list, but what I'm going to give it over to you. What, what, what do you guys, what first comes to mind when we think about like, goodness, you need to know this when you're having a baby. Oh man. Do you want to go first? You have one ready? Um, I mean, the main thing I'm thinking about is that there's just no way your partner can be everything you think he can be in that or or she in that moment, right? Like they just likely have not been to a number of births, medicated, unmedicated, home births, hospital births, you know, interventions. They, they can't possibly bring to the room what we bring to the room. And so like the beauty of having a doula there is that your partner gets to be your partner. They get to be your, your, you know, they champion you, they love you, they, they touch you, they annoy you. And we get to bring the expertise to the room. We get to ask the questions that the partner doesn't even know to ask because he just thinks that everything that the care provider is doing must be in my partner's best interest. Um, red flag, maybe it's <laughs> yeah, not. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, us being there is it's irreplaceable. Yeah, I love that you touch on the fact that you actually give them the chance to be your partner. So expecting your partner to be both your partner and your doula during this, actually a little bit or a lot of it 
robs them of their own experience, right? Because they have to then have the responsibility of trying to keep up with everything that has happened, trying to think of all the right questions, trying to refer back to the childbirth ed class that they took for just this birth where we teach childbirth education. It's second nature. Someone could stop me on the streets and say, ask me X, Y, and Z, and I can rattle off the answers. I don't need to think through my Rolodex of information it's kind of like word vomit for me so in a sense they are very separate roles and to ask your partner to play both really does rob them a little bit it does and and for my own husband this is 10 years ago and I wasn't a doula yet but we were I think we were very prepared we had watched um the business of being born we had read Ina Mae Gaskin's book we we were pretty prepared. We were having twins and I was committed to an unmedicated vaginal birth. And I got that. But the one thing that still for him is a regret is that when I said, I just need to stand to push and the OB was like, that's a hard no. He wishes that he had just helped me stand up and just do my thing. But you know what? That's a way too high and hard expectation to have on him when even the midwife in the room wasn't advocating for that. She couldn't even support me in that. She was too scared, too scared of the rebuttal from the OB. So for him to live with that, I don't know, honestly, if I could have hired the right doula in that moment, that's a high pressure, high stakes situation. And I know I even as much as I'm a badass, I would struggle to, um, you know, directly contradict an OB in that moment and say, just let her stand. She's telling you, even when the baby's heart rate's at 40 and she'll get the baby out faster than you can by shoving a cervix over the baby's head. Um, but he lives with that. And I don't know, obviously hindsight, I, I, you don't know if I'd have had the right doula in the room, could, could that doula have advocated for me intervened at that point? But yeah, that's an interesting part where he was trying to play doula and partner. Can we talk about the point that you just made that other people in the room who are tasked with the job of standing up for you, advocating for you, being that buffer between you and your provider, sometimes there are inner hospital, inner unit workings that are going to prevent those people from doing that advocacy, from being that buffer, because they are scared of the repercussions. They're scared of that OB literally bullying them, sometimes sexually harassing them, sometimes getting them literally fired. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know what it looks like in the States, but here midwives have privileges at certain hospitals. And at any point, if something becomes high risk, then it's a transfer of care and then the OB steps in. I think their, you know, their concerns is always having good, respectful and submissive kind of relationships with the OBs who have more education and, you know, some more sway in the hospital. So definitely, I think that's a, a, a thing they're always, you know, trying to navigate as they, they attend hospital births, and especially with twins. I mean, it was, I started care with um, a midwife. And then once we discovered it was twins later on, quite later on, um, then it was a transfer of care, but she still attended the birth. It's scary to think that your job may be on the line for literally yeah. doing your job. 
Right. And you're not going to give that up for one client, for one patient. Even though we know it's not one patient, you're not the only person that she has stood by and didn't advocate for because she was scared of the repercussions. Right. But where does it stop? Where does it stop? It doesn't stop with your story. It doesn't stop with her being scared. It it really is not going to end. The the buck is not going to stop until we start getting those bad doctors out or they start having repercussions for cause and repercussions on other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he is now the um, head OB of the Mm -hmm. hospital. So I mean, I don't know that that she had space (laughs) to, uh, yeah, to say anything. Isn't that funny how sometimes the most bully providers can climb their ways to the top? It makes you wonder if they got there honestly or if they elbowed their way to the top. Yeah, and I think the way he would tell the story is that he saved the day. So I think he honestly believed that he did the best thing possible in that moment, I remember saying, uh, and I I didn't expect that we'd be going here today, but I remember (laughs) saying, um, you know, I just need to stand and I can get this baby out. And he said, Nope, I can get the baby out faster. And then I said, why aren't you just cutting them out of me? And he said, because it would take longer for me to get you medicated. And I knew in my body, because I'm having, I'm, you know, if I just stand, I can get the baby out the fastest. And, you know, it was, uh, they took the bottom part of the table away so that I couldn't stand. And so then I'm on my back and then he's pushing my cervix over the baby's head. And that's something how they really actually take away the things that you need in order to achieve the things that your body is telling you to do. Like they literally took away the bottom of the table. So you physically could not stand, even Mm -hmm. if you had the gumption to, even if you had Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the wherewithal to get up and say, I hear you, but I'm still going to follow my body. They mm-hmm. actually crippled you enough that you weren't able to do that. Yeah. yeah. I think that brings up one of my other favorite things that we've come to learn. I was at a birth just two weeks ago and the nurse was like, I have never seen anybody push a baby out on their hands and knees. So it is very possible clients that your doula, probably very, very likely your doula has seen more unmedicated physiological birth than your nurse or your OB. So we are actually more well-versed in unmedicated physiological birth. Yet when we walk in those rooms, we're looked down upon as uneducated and a hindrance and a nuisance and a problem. Now, part of that is industry, right? Part of that is there are bad doulas out there, but every industry is going to have bad people or, you know, there's, there's bad architects out there. There are bad doctors. There are bad lawyers. There are bad surgeons. There's, there's bad librarians out there. Every every industry is going to have their bad ones. They're bad apples. How do we get to a point where nurses start to recognize the good ones versus the bad ones and also respect the difference in experience that we bring? We don't know what medications to push. That's not our job. But we do know that if you don't make them push on their backs, this pushing will probably be shorter. We do know how to get someone to relax, to get them over that stuck 
period in their labor. Whereas most nurses are like, okay, well, we got to get Pitocin. That is not where your doula's head is going first, right? And unless you and your doula have taken the time during your prenatals or your childbirth education course to specifically talk about the places that you might find yourself in labor where you and your nurse disagree, clients are then stuck in the middle going, Wow, like who do I listen to? And it just adds more stress. And then we're like, why have we been stuck at eight centimeters for 14 hours? 100%. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting when the nurses um, don't want you in the room. I think part of that is that they're used to working their 12 hour shifts. I don't know about where you are, but here we're at about a 6% rate of people hiring doulas. So they can easily work a month of shifts and never have a birth with a doula at it. All of a sudden we walk in and whether you're a good doula or a bad doula or whatever, you, they know, oh, someone's standing there watching me. And if you say something or you say nothing, they know that every move that they're making, they're being watched. And I mean, I can imagine not loving that. I don't know that I would come into work at 7 p.m. ready to work the night with my coffee and be like, oh, oh great, a doula. Perfect. I've got someone just making <laughs> sure that I'm doing my best tonight. <laughs> and see, I think that's where I disagree wholeheartedly. I invite you to watch me. I'm always following the evidence. I'm always doing the best. You could take anything I do at any moment and plaster it on the front page of the Today Show, and I'm still good with it because there is a level of consistency of care. There's a level of respect. There is a level of professionalism. There is a level of science and data that my team just will not go below. You can always expect that we always practice as if the front page of the local newspaper is right there filming us. And I struggle with doctors and nurses who practice one way when no one's looking and then they want to practice another way when someone is looking. That's how you get bad medicine. That's how you get slip ups. That's how you get mistakes. If every single time you show up to work, you're showing up knowing that someone is watching you, then you should always be practicing at a specific level of care, right? right. How you change? You're accountable to you, to the standards of practice that you have decided this is the high level with which I am comfortable with. And that is also backed up by evidence. Unfortunately, nurses, doctors are very responsible to their hospital administration, to WSIB, which is our falls and unions and, you know, what you're going to get sued for, which I obviously the same as in the States. And then um, also their colleges, right? Yeah. So if all their college, so, so the things that, yeah, maybe they're going to do what's better for the client, for the patient in the moment, um, but, but not on the, not because they're being, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I need my life. Yeah, that's a good point. There's, there's, I think there's a lot of factors that go into it. I do think that it's very fishy when you practice one way when you think no one's watching and then you feel the need to practice a different way just because you think what you're doing is going to be scrutinized. And for, you know, listeners out there, I don't think any doula goes in looking to scrutinize providers and nurses, but we do go in making sure that everyone's getting evidence-based care, compassionate care, consensual care, right? And I think that the majority of the industry is not going to put up with anything less. So if you're not getting consent, 
not only should you expect to be called out, but you should be called out. It is literally part of your job to give consensual care yeah. to your patients, right? I, I do go into a birth. Um, so I guess this is like a, a nitty gritty of um, maybe you wouldn't hear this other places, but my body language and my prep, I, I go in soft front, hard back. So Definitely. I go in with, you know, gentleness, kindness, love, Respect. warmth, touch. I go in for that kind of energy towards my client. And then my back is I'm watching for what's coming, what's coming from, what are they saying? What are they doing? What do they want to do? What are they going to introduce? The eye roll at the birth plan, yeah. the, all those signs. And I'm ready to, uh, you know, have the starting with the questions and, and the conversations and the inquiry around why is this the path that we're going down? I always tell my team to go in with the mindset that everyone's a good nurse until proven otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. So you always go in thinking that this nurse is the best nurse, unless you have a history with that nurse. And if they have a proven track record, um, and that's a conversation to be having with your client to say, hey, listen, um, you know, this nurse may not respect what you're saying. And if at any moment you feel like you're not getting consensual care, like they're not being compassionate, like they're not respecting your wishes or what you're asking for, all you have to do is let me know um, and, and we can take care of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. It's tough. It's tough navigating those situations where nurses aren't always open to doulas. And I know that some of them, like I say, they've had really bad interactions, but just like we take on every nurse as a new nurse with a clean slate as an individual, I do believe wholeheartedly that we deserve that same respect, that I should not be held accountable for the doula that you had last week that yelled at you or caused your patient to decline an actually necessary um, intervention or procedure or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And so often that's their perspective too, right? Like a lot of the things that we suggest and advocate for aren't necessarily dangerous and they are what our client wants. And I feel like a lot of the times providers put the blame on us and they're like, oh, the doula is pushing you to do something when really we know what our clients want going in and we're fighting for what they've asked for. We're the one with the sword and they're kind of behind us and we're the ones getting the blame. Mm -hmm. And they look at us at, as all as one, right? So yeah. we're all one doula and that's just not fair. You guys don't want to be looked at as one nurse. So don't yeah. treat us all as the same as well. Yeah. It's interesting when you've got, um, just like there's doulas who are coming in, they've been to one to five births. There are nurses who are in their first year or two of practice and, you know, I can feel the shift in myself, even where I used to walk in feeling like such an amateur and like I'm faking it and wondering if anyone can see right through me. And then now I'm finding myself in this scenario where I'm looking at some of these newer nurses and I'm like, Laura said, like, they've never seen a hands and knees birth. They've never seen a standing birth. They've mm -hmm. never seen a water birth and, and they've never had kids themselves, or they've just never been in any experience outside the hospital walls. So they don't even know what early labor looked like for the 12 hours before they came in. And so now I'm in kind of in this different spot where I'm like, oh, like, 
I, I have something different to bring to the table here that I understand why this puts you back on your heels because you don't know what I know. And on the opposite end of that spectrum, kind of playing devil's advocate here, how about the new nurses who are complete badasses? They're not even going to take your temperature, not even a temporal temperature, not even touching your body, just holding something up to your forehead without getting your permission. Yet you have Sally Joe over here who's been a nurse for 45 years and she wants to taunt that around and say, I've been a nurse for 45 years. I don't need your permission. Yeah, to break your waters. Yeah. experience is not everything. It really isn't. I mean, and I think that's true across the board with providers, with nurses, with technical staff and with doulas. I think, you know, it is so much more about your actual practice, your philosophy on how you view client provider relationships um, and the respect that you have for, for your patients, not so much how long you've been doing it, Sally Joe. I love what you said about consent. Um, tell your story about that OB who, um, when she was giving a cervical check. That oh, was a bit too yeah. Intense. A few weeks ago, uh, I was out of birth and the OB was doing the whole like hand in the vagina. She had an epidural. So the OB was like, I don't actually know what she was doing because she didn't actually tell us what she was doing, but it started with like the two, both hands in two fingers in, pushing down, like, you know, that whole thing. Yep. And then she started like, I don't know if she was moving the cervix, but it got more aggressive. And my client is like body language writhing in pain, writhing in pain. And then she starts like, you can see her husband's right with her. And she's saying like, ow, ow, ow to him. And I was like, is that too much? And she's like, yeah. And the OB stopped and was like, thank you for amplifying her voice. And I was like, whoa, did the OB just thank me? <laughs> like, what just happened right now? I was like, my mind was blown. And she, she paused and was like, I did not like, I took her out of her natural progression to trying to force a baby to come out. And she checked herself. Yeah. I was like, Oh my God, are things changing? I don't know. I, and I also feel like she maybe had an assumption because she had an epidural that somehow she feel it. she's numb. She can't feel yeah. anything. No, she was in pain. Yeah. Also the fact that it took you amplifying her voice is a little but they're not watching the body language they're, they're not looking for that that she didn't ever explain what she was actually doing with her hands inside of her vagina so it's it a good explained. first step and i guess it's job security for all of us right but the the hope is or my hope is i always say this that my hope is one day we don't need doulas that people can go into the hospital and have their babies and 100% trust their providers are going to do everything in their power free of coercion free of outside influence that is truly in the best interest of their patients. Do I think we'll ever get there? Not sure. Not sure (laughs) that day. Do I hope for it? Like hell I do. Yeah. I don't, I think I've only been to one birth where the definition of being a doula had zero advocacy. And that was with a traditional birth attendant. It was a home birth. And so she's not reporting to any governing body. And that was the only birth I I was at. I had been to the prenatal appointment with the two of them ahead of time where I had to bring no sort of hard back. 
I was, there was no intervening. We were all on the same page. And I really felt like my role there was to be a second loving human. It was really just to bring affection and, and love and holding space and witnessing to the room. So in that way, I hope that that doulas and, you know, wise women are always in the space, but I hear you from a perspective of advocacy, it would be Mm -hmm. great if that piece of it wasn't needed. I mean, I'm more of a firecracker than Laura likes to be. (laughs) I think Laura would, would, could be a doula for a hundred more years if we could get rid of the advocacy piece of it. Yeah. Like you hate going to a hospital knowing that a nurse I know, like you. The worst thing for us has been, I don't have any bad relationships with nurses yet, but we've, uh, we've, we've caused some waves with some local midwives. Um, well, and, and some local nurses, but in another Yeah. Hospital. In another hospital. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, knowing that I'm going to a birth with a midwife who I've had a poor interaction with before, because I, the only reason is because I chose to not abandon a client yeah. and not obey a rule that doulas weren't allowed at a home birth in COVID in COVID that's really, that would take everything out of me to have to do that every single time. Yeah. Yeah. It's always funny to me when I call you out for something you're doing that you should have been doing anyway. Yeah. And I'm the bad person. No, I'm the bad person. That's yeah. weird to me. It's weird. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's my own cross to bear for sure. That's the people pleaser in me that I have to get yeah. over. But yeah. Yeah. The advocacy part is something that I feel like even when we were trained, we knew that it was something that we were going to have to do, but I don't know if we were really instructed on how to do it. And definitely we've gotten better in practice of how it works and how to speak to providers respectfully. And I think the soft front, hard back thing is exactly how it is. You go in like a little butt kisser. And then as soon as something happens, you're like, actually, I'm not that nice. <laughs> Let's talk about that. And maybe this will be our last place, but can we talk about the facade that doulas represent in every doula knows how to advocate for me across the board when in reality, the majority of trainings are not telling doulas that they are a buffer. The majority of trainings are not teaching doulas how to speak up. They're certainly not teaching them how to speak respectfully and in an educated manner to you know, there's a way that you can present things and get your message across firmly, soundly, respectfully. And then there's a way that you communicate that really does destroy all the work that you, your team or other doulas, our industry as a whole has made up until this point. And I think a lot of people are like, well, I hired a doula. So now I'm immune to birth trauma. And That's not true. Who you hire matters. The way that that doula keeps up their certification and their continuing education matters. The way that that doula views themselves in the birth room matters. Mm -hmm. Doulas who sign up to work for that hospital, Mm. they're not on your side, people. Yeah. Mm. Thankfully, that is not a thing here yet. Hospitals actually hiring doulas the health unit had a, uh, what do you call that? Like a bursary or a something where you could be paid $500 yes. per birth, but you hardly met with a client ahead of time. You were supposed to step in, which is, is crazy. Sure. How are you supposed to advocate for what someone wants? Then you're just standing there literally as a, hi, I'm watching this nurse and this will be. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I, yeah, it's funny. So we took our training one year apart. I was the year after Laura. You were nine years ago. Yeah. I was eight years ago, or maybe nine and ten. I think now. it's ten and we nine. Keep, yeah, we're forgetting to adjust our timeline. Yeah. but we've been stuck in 2020 for a long time. Yes, yeah, it's <laughs> forever. time warped. Yeah, it's funny because I and I don't know if this is this the lens if we had a different training or if it's the lens we listen through, but the 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 interpretation I got, you know, you're you're trying to envision this woman standing there speaking to you, and you're trying to envision what this actually looks like in real time, and I kind of had this idea that she was just like fighting people left, right, and center. Yeah. Like I I got the impression that the whole job was advocacy, and I remember being so scared in my first five births. Well, like, and that's why I got that impression as well. Oh, okay. We weren't instructed on how to do it. Right, right, right. Yes. She, yeah. And she made it sound like she was just going to war. And yeah. then I was like, actually now, and then I had her at my third birth, and I was like, I, I wonder, and even how she replayed it, Yeah. she was like, yeah, I told that midwife to sit on her hands. And I'm like, I don't actually remember hearing you say that. No, I don't think you did that. <laughs> no, I don't think you did do that. I think I just, you know, told them I was going to hand them my placenta yeah. and that they weren't going to touch me. And you know I, what? It's interesting because we've never had anybody ask us in an interview when they're hiring us. Like, do you know how to advocate? Do you know how to protect me from trauma? Yeah. No one's ever asking that in a doula interview. And it's, it is wild. So yes, I agree with you. There are, there are doulas who can advocate and there are doulas who can't, but on the client end, they can't think that because they have checked that doula box that now they are yeah. void of that. They're not going to have trauma. Like, I mean, and that they're going to magically have the exact birth they planned for yeah, just like, they hired a doula. Girl, you've got to still do the work. You've got to watch the videos. You've got to listen to the podcast. You've got to read the stuff. You've got to get your head in a space where, you know, birth is hard yeah. and this, you got to be ready for it. You can't, expect to have all these beautiful things. If you think you're going to tap out in the first two hours. Yeah. You got to build yourself a little birth fortress mm. and a doula well, is not that. Well, the final word. So your doula, how many times have you been in a birth room where you're advocating for your patient, your client, and you're saying the things that they wanted you to advocate for. And then they just sit back and they're like, I'll just do what the doctor says. And you're like, good golly, Miss Molly, not only did you just give away your power, but you just threw me under the bus. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. So many times when I've had someone pushing in stirrups, I'm like, perhaps we could try a different position. <laughs> and they're like, oh, this is crickets, fine. crickets. All set. Like, okay, I'm going to suggest it one more time. And then my mouth's going to get shut. Like I can't flip you over myself. No. That yeah, so, you so that's, the that's the rule that our team follows too, is that yeah. we will recommend it just twice. And yeah. if twice you shoot us down, then we're going to let you have it. And we we reminded you, and then we gave you one more chance to kind of stew on it and remind you one more time. And then it seems to be what you really do want. Yeah. Have you read Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed? So partially I'm really bad at starting books and then not finishing them, finishing them. Okay. And so I have like read maybe the first or second, maybe even three chapters, but not much of it. Okay. So it has absolutely nothing to do with birth, but <laughs> uh, at our last prenatal class, Laura brought it up as like one of the books you should read before you have a baby because it teaches you how to not be a people pleaser. And she even has a journal to go with it. 
but the, I did this prenatal visit with a couple last week and he told me the only note he wrote down from the whole class was to buy untamed because <laughs> he's like, that's my wife. She will say yes to things that are not in her favor, are not beneficial for her because she doesn't want to cause a racket. And this is the thing. We see so many births that we see collectively women keep giving in to all these things because each one individually doesn't want to be a troublemaker. And yet collectively, it means that all women are just taking this ridiculousness from these OBs and nurses, and they're, none of them are getting the birth that they actually want or could have. And it just further perpetuates the harmful ideologies that circulate the L&D units. I think that's a great place to wrap up. So listeners, um, if you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to catch us on Instagram. You can find us at Tranquility by Hehe or The Birth Lounge. If you're listening to our podcast, be sure to head over to YouTube. We're at Tranquility by Hehe there. But please know, please, please, please know when you advocate for yourself and your birth goals, you're not just doing it for you and your baby. You are doing it for the bigger collectiveness of women and birthers and birthing people and pregnant people and to collect collectively move that needle just a little bit it's it's bigger than you and we need you we need your power we need your voice we need your advocacy we need you to put into that bigger pot of hey we're done taking your abuse we're not going to stand up for this stuff anymore i am going to stand up and push my baby out i am going to get out of these stirrups i am going to stay in this birthing tub and if you are an ob you can get your hands down here and catch my baby where I'm at. Oh my goodness, Sarah, Laura, thanks so much for joining me. If people wanted to follow you on Instagram and they should because your reels are just French <laughs> or chef's kiss, um, where do they find you? So they can find us at, at Dynamic Doulas on Instagram um, and everything's there. Our website's linked there and that's where we like to hang out a lot. It's true. And <laughs> to add on to what you just said about you know, the collective, if you wouldn't watch what's happening to you happen to your sister or someone you love, yeah. don't let it happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. If you want it better for your children, when they have babies for your grandchildren, when they're born, it starts now. The time is now start standing up for the things that birthing people and women and pregnant people deserve. Because if we don't start putting our foot down now, we got a really ugly road ahead of us and we already have a really ugly road behind us. So sure let's make it better. Let's repave this. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having Thank us. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, guys, thanks for joining us and we will see you next time. Bye y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend, share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident.
Hey there, just a friendly reminder that nothing in this podcast is to be used as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider with any questions or concerns you have about your health or anything discussed in this podcast. Side effects may include educated adults, informed decision-making skills, and consensual care. Tranquility by Hehe and the Birth Lounge are not responsible for any ideal births that were created with this podcast. The birth parent deserves all the credit.